Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Travaux. I'm your host, Julia Wang, and this is The Current State. Welcome back to Travaux. I'm Julia Wang, and today I'll be talking with Meredith Sullivan about the current protests in Iran and the threat that government internet shutdowns pose to human rights around the world. Hey, Julia. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. Can you begin by describing what has been happening in Iran in the last month or so? Of course. So, on September 13, 2022, Iran's guidance patrol arrested Gina Masa Amini, a Kurdish-Iranian woman visiting Tehran, for improperly wearing hijab. She died in police custody a few days later. While people all over Iran took to the streets in the days after Amini's death, the government had already started to shut down the internet and restrict digital communication channels. And what specific actions did the Iranian government take to shut down the internet? So, within the first weeks of protests, the government had blocked a few available social media sites, Google Play, the Apple Store, and encrypted DNS. In a recent report by the Open Observatory of Network Interference, OONI, the blocking of encrypted domain name systems, DNS, was noted as particularly worrisome, as it will render censorship circumvention in an already heavily censored environment harder. Instagram was restricted across all major internet providers in Iran, one of the last social media platforms to be banned. WhatsApp has also experienced continued disruptions in addition to Skype and LinkedIn. Mobile networks have been repeatedly interrupted with daily curfew-like patterns to the interference. Universities where students have striked against the government have also encountered stunted internet access. By late September, watchdog organization NetBlocks observed an anomaly in connectivity on major internet provider Telecommunication Company of Iran, or TCI, tantamount to national disruption, followed by disruptions to regional telecommunication providers in various provinces. Kurdistan province, where Amini was from, has also experienced complete internet blackouts in major cities since the protests began. As recently as mid-October 2022, a month after Amini's death, NetBlocks confirmed persistent and severe disruption to internet traffic and major broadband providers in Iran. As long as protests persist, it is likely that the government will continue to control the flow of information via internet shutdowns. And how can we contextualize the issue of internet shutdowns within international law? First off, the United Nations Human Rights Council, UNHCR, defines internet shutdowns as measures taken by a government or on behalf of a government to intentionally disrupt access to and the use of information and communication systems online. This covers interference with internet access broadly, from a total blackout to throttling connections to blocking specific platforms, websites, or services. Throttling bandwidth makes it difficult to meaningfully use the internet and hinders the sharing or watching of videos. In places where most users access the internet from their phones, Governments can disrupt mobile service and therefore force many offline. Importantly, the recent HRC report emphasizes that internet shutdowns are powerful markers of deteriorating human rights situations. Governments tend to restrict internet access in moments of heightened tensions, namely around elections or during large-scale protests. Further, there's a link between internet shutdowns and periods of increased state violence. Unsurprisingly, restricted access to the internet weakens internal organizing efforts and information sharing and precludes the documentation of human rights violations and compliance with domestic and international law. So given that context, is there currently a right to internet access in international law? 
No, the right to internet access is not yet enshrined in international law. However, it is deeply intertwined with other fundamental rights, such as freedom of expression. Article 19 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, or ICCPR, enumerates the rights most directly impacted by shutdowns. The right to hold opinions without interference, to freedom of expression, and to access and disseminate information. Article 19 contains a crucial caveat. It permits that exercising these aforementioned rights can be restricted, but only when provided by law and necessary for respect of the rights or reputations of others, or for the protection of national security or of public order. And how can governments reconcile internet shutdowns with Article 19? They often can't. The HRC reports that internet shutdowns often violate Article 19, Section 3, because governments seldom state the legal foundation for a shutdown or even formally acknowledge its occurrence. When states do refer to national security or laws, the legal underpinnings are usually too broad and vague to support the shutdown under this article. The Human Rights Committee's General Comment Number 31 from 2004 clarifies additional limitations to restrictions of any of the ICCPR's rights. States must demonstrate their necessity and only take such measures as are proportionate to the pursuance of legitimate aims. With the sweeping nature of internet shutdowns, it is unlikely that they are ever proportionate to their stated aim, as they inherently infringe on protected rights and interfere with legitimate activities. The International Telecommunication Union, or ITU, is a UN agency focused on promoting global standards for information and communication technologies. ICTs, including the internet. Articles 34 and 35 of the ITU Constitution clarify when states are justified in stopping telecommunications. Article 34 gives member states the right to cut off private communications in accordance with domestic law for reasons of national security. Article 35 permits member states to suspend international telecommunications service in a general or targeted fashion provided they immediately notify the ITU Secretary General. In both the ITU Constitution and the ICCPR, national security is a salient and opaque justification for states abridging rights and ICTs alike. And this isn't the first time that the Iranian government has employed internet shutdowns during periods of unrest. Can you describe other examples of when it has done the same? Sure. The government first slowed down the internet in the wake of a contested presidential election and the Green Movement protests in 2009. In the past few years, Tehran has disrupted internet access simultaneously with disproportionate use of lethal force against civilians on two notable occasions. In 2021, regional internet shutdowns attempted to mask indiscriminate violence by state security forces against protesters across cities in Sistan and Baluchistan province. In November 2019, the Iranian government implemented a complete internet blackout to mask egregious human rights violations. The government announced an exorbitant increase in fuel prices that sparked massive demonstrations. Security forces violently bore down on protesters as authorities ordered internet service providers, ISPs, to disconnect the internet. The shutdown lasted between six and ten days and allowed hundreds, if not thousands, to be killed, injured, or detained with impunity. Iran was better able to cut its citizens off from the world because it had developed a domestic and heavily censored intranet, the National Information Network Project, that allowed the government to keep vital services running despite still incurring economic losses. These shutdowns are also embedded within a general context of heavy internet censorship. 
Despite shutting off the internet, Iran participates in many of the aforementioned international treaties and bodies. Iran is a state party to the ICCPR and is bound by the ITU constitution. Sometimes international law itself provides an excuse for state actions that are an otherwise flagrant violation of human rights. For example, a report by the Human Rights Organization, Article 19, emphasizes that Tehran has previously and incorrectly interpreted Article 34 of the ITU's constitution to confer a right on state authorities to enact shutdowns. The language of Article 34 permits interruptions when dangerous to the security of the state, giving wide berth to states to make justifications. But Article 19 reports that the Iranian government has failed to comply with the Constitution's further requirement of giving notice to the ITU. So based on what we've discussed, has there been a push to create a right to internet access or internet freedom? The international community has long recognized the threat inherent in internet shutdowns and now their increasing frequency and sophistication. Due to shifting composition of the HRC and international bodies more generally, it is not easy to get resolutions passed on shutdowns. Many states, including Russia, itself a frequent practitioner of shutdowns and censorship, have objected. In 2016, the HRC passed a non-binding resolution condemning internet shutdowns, but the recommendations mirrored those in other UN agency reports, as they were unlikely to change the behavior of a state already resorting to shutdowns. Beyond states' obligations under international law, which they seem to flout, various recommendations emphasize the role that technology companies can play to avoid shutdowns, to exercise due diligence, and to inform the public. This possible corporate role is reduced in Iran, where U.S. sanctions have stimulated the presence of global companies, and this potential pressure point on the government simply does not exist. Beyond restricting technological alternatives available to Iranians, U.S. sanctions have harmed Iranian people attempting to circumvent both their government's quotidian censorship and the more serious instances of shutdowns. In light of the difficulties of getting governments to comply with international law, and the unique situation in Iran, constrained by decades of sanctions, civil society continues to shoulder the burden of tracking and documenting internet shutdowns as they happen and continuing to demand accountability. Thank you for the overview about this important issue. Any last takeaways you have for our audience? Ultimately, Tehran's behavior is consistent with global use of internet shutdowns as a tool for political control. The ongoing internet disruptions since Amini's death constitute the most serious shutdown in Iran since the total blackout of November 2019. Currently, much of the work lies with civil society, individuals, and tech companies to help Iranians to evade censorship, bypass shutdowns, and demand accountability. Interestingly, the U.S. recently eased its sanctions on communications technologies in Iran expanding the types of permitted platforms and removing a requirement that all communications be personal. While it may be a positive example of concrete action in response to the protests, generally unilateral action is worrisome. It lacks the checks of the international system and Iran has already suffered enough from foreign intervention. It is incumbent upon the international legal community to address contradictions between legal instruments that can be used to justify unacceptable behavior by states and to strengthen legal obligations, like establishing a right to the internet. For now, the international community must amplify Iranian voices and keep the Iranian government under scrutiny 
calling out both human rights abuses and shutdowns. This is another grave reminder that internet shutdowns are increasingly becoming a feature of state control and the international community must continue to work toward concrete solutions and non-interventionist enforcement mechanisms. Thank you so much for being with us today, Meredith. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Travaux is brought to you by Hiep Wen, Kyle Tang, Julia Wang, and the rest of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current. Please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Trevo. See you next week. Au revoir.